listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, we have another great guest with us today, and we're going to talk about something that you and I don't normally have. <laughs> so we're going to talk about a lot of things, but we're going to talk about conversational intelligence, which I think I don't think we Ooh. have intelligence in our conversations <laughs> at all, do we? Oh my gosh, that is so true. <laughs> you know, as an introvert, that's why I just sit and listen instead of talking. It's so much safer. Or maybe and, it's we don't have intelligent conversations. No, wait, 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 no, 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 that's not right either. So anyway, yeah. anyway, moving on. We have invited Howard Brown. He is the founder and CEO of Revenue.io. Howard, you founded and sold two or three other companies, I believe. Yeah, founded three, sold two, and rolled the third professional services firm into Revenue.io. Okay, so that, that's the backstory we were just talking about. Okay, master's in clinical psychology. If you're not familiar, Revenue.io is a, well, I'll let you tell us. It's, it's a RevOps platform, right? Correct. It's a Forrester Wave Leader yep. in conversational intelligence. Yep. And it's a cool vendor on Gartner. I don't actually know what that means, but it sounds cool. Yeah, it's look, I, I've never been very cool. So it was really great to be called a cool vendor by Gartner. And also the only vendor that's listed in two of the critical categories for a RevOps platform. So that's very also, cool. Yeah, very cool. Also, I should say real quick, you also were named like CEO of the year a couple, two, two or three times in a row. So successful leader on many fronts. So we're super excited to have you here. And I think we're going to start inside of conversational intelligence, Jeff, but I, I think we want to go up and to talk about other things as well. But I think we should start there. Sounds so like maybe fun. we start, what, what the heck is conversational intelligence anyway? It's, it's, you know, clearly not what I set it up as. Well, let me, the, clearly having listened to a few of your podcasts, you guys display and engage in conversation intelligence. But I think the idea of conversation intelligence is really taking that untapped gold mine of conversations that happen from your frontline employees and your customers or prospects and really evaluate, examine, analyze what is happening in those conversations for learning, for training, for product, for growth. It's really the voice of the customer. We all talk about voice of customer, but this truly gives you that access to the voice of your customers. And then you take that data, which is just another data pipe, really, and you mesh that up with engagement data, with marketing data, with intent data, with training data and process data, and you take all of that and you examine what's working, right? We have a lot of conversations all the time, but we don't truly know what makes an effective conversationalist. And the study of conversations and the study of the outcomes from those conversations is really what conversation intelligence is all about. As you were saying that, Howard, the thing that occurred to me, that, well, there were two things that occurred to me. One, wouldn't it be nice to have some of those Google glasses with conversational intelligence that husbands could wear when communicating with their, <laughs> with their wives in real time? It's funny you say that. Sorry, I got to interrupt you on this one. So <laughs> as you guys know, I'm actually, my background is in psychology. I, I've worked with children. I've worked with couples. I've worked with family members. 
And as a psychologist, as a clinician, you're constantly making interventions and suggesting things on how people can better communicate with one another. But the truth of the matter is you have no idea what the outcome of that is, or if they did that homework, they'll come back in a week and report something back to you, but you truly don't have any idea. What's been amazing for me and why I've been obsessed with conversation intelligence and communication is, look, we have a problem as a society in really seeing one another and communicating, finding that common ground, finding that empathy, finding out what the other person really needs and wants. And, And so what's beautiful about this technology and what we're doing with it is we're really examining how people build rapport, how they build trust, how they connect. So whether it's you and your wife, me with my kids, a sales rep with their prospect, a customer with their support rep, there's a lot of the building blocks of communication, which quite frankly, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about or practicing, right? Communication has become more disconnected, more distracted than ever. My children sit there in front of their phones and have conversations with me. We need to focus on how to become better conversationalists, how to better relate to one another, that will deliver better outcomes. So your point in having these Google glasses with those cues is actually not far off. And we'll talk about what real time does as it relates to how we take conversational intelligence and not just play Monday morning quarterback, but how we can actually give signals or how we can call audibles in conversations in real time. Real quick, there was a great article on you in Forbes where you talked about this. And that's actually what drew me to you right away when I read it was the application of conversational intelligence, which you are doing in the sale. You know, like you just said, it's sort of like from the outside looking in, it's like sales is like a Petri dish because it's a right place of conversations where people are willing to invest to get better at it. But it's not about that for you. And that's what I loved about that sequence. It was just like, it wasn't, it's not really about just making a better sales conversation. It's about really tapping into how we communicate better as a whole. I love that about the way you talk about this. I think it's a huge, it's almost, it's like a, it's like a purpose, a broader purpose to your work that I think comes through real loud and clear. And I, and I, and I think that's great. Thank you for that. that. Super important. And I appreciate that. So anyway, actually I have a background question is like, when did you start to see that conversational intelligence could even be a thing? Like when it was like, wait a minute, there's all these sales conversations happening. There's all these dialogues happening. They're moving from analog to digital. We can do something with this. When did that start to become a merge in your mind as a space in which we could occupy and start to learn? So I think going back to the early 2000s when I had created a company that was for behavioral health care facilities, drug and alcohol treatment centers, eating disorder clinics, and really connecting therapists with patients, right? We were essentially a connector of the right therapists, the right treatment centers with the right patients and vice versa. We had a very large call center. And what we realized was we needed to match the right person with the right condition with somebody who could be most helpful, right? So uh, an example I typically use is a woman with, with an eating disorder. When she finally reaches out and asks for help, if you connect her with a man, 95% of the time, they'll actually just hang up the phone. 
that's a complete empathic failure, right? Because they feel that a man won't be able to relate. Whether that's valid or not, that's the experience. But that was an aha moment for us. Not only, now that's a very easy example based on gender, but what you start to realize is it's really important who we route calls to and how people handle calls. And what we used to do is walk up and down the floor and essentially listen to our reps as they had conversations. The advancement back then was we had this thing called a Y splitter where we'd actually come up to their phone, we plug in our headsets and we'd listen to them converse. Talk about blowing a Petri dish or a lab experience. Your, your manager is sitting there listening to you as you engage it completely blows the experience. You're not getting a real true example of how that rep interacts. And so it was at that moment we decided that we were going to try and use call recording technology, which was incredibly difficult and incredibly expensive to start recording these calls. There was no way to transcribe them back in the day. But what we did was we took those recordings, we sat down with the rep and we listened to them. One of the reasons I did that was as a clinician, I remember one of the most valid and important and powerful lessons I ever learned was as I was volunteering at a clinic, one of the things that they did, it was a free clinic, was they videotaped your sessions with your clients. And then they'd use that videotape to train you how you did as a clinician with your clients so that you could improve. There was this moment where I watched my video with a patient who was revealing very, very difficult life experiences, and it made me uncomfortable. And I could see my body language change. I was tapping on my knee. My foot was moving. I was clearly uncomfortable. What I didn't realize was my discomfort was actually creating more anxiety for the patient. So it was that ability to actually analyze my own behavior, my own way of communicating that sort of shed light on, wow, we can use this game tape, we can use this video, we can use these recordings to not only train and coach, but for people to, who want to improve, who want to grow, to look at their own stuff and, and use that as a learning moment. So really long story, but it was a powerful set of moments for me that realized that if we want to improve ourselves, the ability to take technology and record is one of the best vehicles we can use. It's amazing. I've said for years, there's that book, Paco Underhill wrote it about, I think it was called Why We Buy. And he, and he was one of the first people to kind of do follow around shopping, right? So they would go into retail environments, they would watch how people interact. And I always said it was interesting in the B2B world, you didn't really have that. It was really hard right. because like the, the sales process is so opaque. It's like It's like hidden behind like, a meeting and a call and and that's changed so much. And so I think that's what's so interesting about what you're doing is it's sort of opening up that whole process of buying and making it visible to learn from. And I think that's really exciting. Let's talk a little bit more about like the application of conversational intelligence within the sort of selling environment. Like what are you seeing companies do? Like how are they approaching this kind of conceptually inside of their, their sales units? Well, I think in a lot of different ways. And I, and I do think it's early days. I still think we're maybe at the bottom of the second inning with all of this. So I think there's a, a lot of improvement, a lot of growth, and a lot of early examination and utilization of the technology. But I do think it's still very nascent. When you think about 
most businesses today that start to execute a sales process and then want to look at what their conversations or web meetings sound like or look like, they're looking for some very basic things that they can help train their reps on. Are they talking too much? Are they interrupting? Mm-hmm. Are they not asking enough questions? Some will look at sentiment and that's pretty much it. What's powerful about that is you can help a rep improve their performance in a very short period of time. Where we're going and what we do and what I'm super excited about, we've been storing and and collecting information on our customers, our prospects for years. That information sits in marketing systems, right? We know what content someone reviews. We know what ads they look at. We have information when they become customers on the support tickets that they've had. We, we know what products they've bought. We now have the ability to record conversations and hear how they communicate. We are able to understand by segment, by role, by personality type, how people behave. Now, if we understand how our agents, our reps behave and how they interact, how they build rapport and trust, how we're able to help them, not just post-fact, right? It's, it's taking these conversations and looking at them sort of in the rear view mirror, but taking all of that data in real time and providing those moments, those moments where that rep needs that help, that prompting. So if you think about, we all have conversations, we all have moments in life, and there are so many times where We'll go to bed and we'll think, boy, if I just behaved differently, if I just said this, if I just didn't put my foot in my mouth, this is the opportunity in front of us, tying these technologies together to provide situational awareness. Because how can we ask a sales rep who's fairly new to a company to understand everything about their products, their service, the value prop of what they offer? plus understand their customer or client, plus all the competitive landscape and expect them to quickly ramp up and provide sales guidance and value. It's incredibly difficult. But what we can do with this conversation intelligence, what we can do with all this data we're storing is provide that contextual situational awareness. And if you think about an all-star, right? A baseball second baseman, The reason they're an all-star is because they know what to do in every single possible scenario. That's what we can do with this technology. The technology and the AI behind it can prepare that rep for any situation, for any moment. And that's where we see conversation intelligence going. I love your analogy. I think the interesting thing too is you think about it, that second baseman analogy. Not only do they know what to do, in the moment, their body just does it. And and I think that's where you're trying to take the sales lead, right? The same place, that, that, that ability to sort of rise above it, the moment, and just fluidly interact how they naturally should interact in that moment based on all kinds of inputs. Right. And what's exciting is if you think about the fact that we have a couple hundred million hours of conversation, right? <laughs> that's a staggering amount. <laughs> it's crazy, right? But all kinds of different scenarios, all different types of products, all different types of customers, All different ways people respond, react, communicate, build relationships, right? 
what you're able to do and what technology is able to do and what it's so powerful at is that 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 it's the ability to pattern recognize, right? We as human yeah. beings can only learn so much. The technology has the ability to constantly learn and constantly grow. So if you think about it, recognizing every situation based on the person's profile, the questions they ask, the questions that you're supposed to ask as a rep. And in that moment, pop, if you, for example, ask me, hey, how do you compare against your competitor? I can pop a battle card so that in that moment, you're able to answer that question. I can immediately look at that battle card and be prepared. If I didn't ask you a question that I need to ask, for example, if your product requires salesforce.com and your SDR, your prospecting rep doesn't ask that disqualification question in the first 30 seconds of a call, prompt that rep to ask that question. It's taking all of that training, all of that coaching that we get that we typically forget one day, two days after the training, what do we retain? Like 10, 15%? We're, we're turning people, not, we're not giving them artificial intelligence. We're actually augmenting their intelligence. We're providing that help in the moment. And what does that do? That allows a rep who a lot of times feels inadequate, ill-prepared, doesn't have the information they need to meet that moment. It allows them to feel more comfortable more confident, more competent. What does that do? We all talk about customer experience and how critical that is. If you provide your reps with tools that makes them feel competent in that moment, provide them a great worker experience, they will provide your customers with a great customer experience. We expect reps to be super people. The way to make them super people is by allowing them, tooling them to be great prepared in the moment reps that then can meet that moment, they can feel competent, secure, and they will deliver a better experience. Wow. I, I, I want to build on what you said. I, I could go any number of ways here, but I, I want to touch on the contextual element of this. When I said I had had noticed two things at the start, the second one, in addition to the Google glasses, was how contextual all this is and needs to be. And gosh, there's billions, if not trillions of contexts, yeah, I, w- I would think would happen. But one specific context that I would I'd love to get your insights on is life inside of professional services firms where cross-selling, is seen as this kind of panacea to growth, right? We already have these great customer relationships. We should exploit them, right? Penetrate them, bring the full value of the firm. It seldom works. Mm -hmm. And we had Charlie Green on and we talked about this and part of it's cultural, but the other part of it is gets to your wheelhouse of human psychology that the people that are attracted to professional services like to be right. They don't want to be wrong. And when they start talking about subject matter that's not their wheelhouse, they're very uncomfortable. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about how this technology would work in that type of situation, particularly where the solution isn't even a defined product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so I'm going to take issue with the word exploit. 
And again, yeah, thank you. I, I thank you. words and conversations. So, so I'm so glad yeah. you said that because I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, exploit. Wow, that's that's harsh. But anyway, keep going. And I think that's an important distinction because if you if your professional services organization builds a culture of consultants that their mission is to deliver exponential value to your customer, they're thinking about rather than exploiting and and getting extracting more dollars, they're thinking, how can I help this company generate more revenue, deliver a better customer experience, deliver better product, whatever it may be. And if in our repertoire of options or opportunities or tools or services, there are things that can add value to them, then I'm more likely to recommend it. Now, to your point, as a consultant, I'm supposed to be a trained expert. I'm supposed to understand how to deliver that value. And I need to be able to articulate. I need to be situationally aware so that when I'm talking to a CEO, a CRO, a CMO, and they're talking about their problems, their challenges, the vision for themselves or their company, how do I respond to that moment? How do I know? Because I have a list of vendors or products that I can offer them, how can I know every single one of those products? How can I be an expert on day one of every product or service we provide? It's an impossible task, right? And so that's part of the challenge. I'm not an expert. I don't really know the value I can offer. I know the firm wants to make more money. My mission, my value is to provide more value to them. So I can spend days, weeks, months learning all these products and services so that I can be an expert. But let's face it, my time I bill out for those the dollars, right? So I want to be working. Nobody's paying me to learn on the job. So how can I get this training? How can I learn as quickly as possible when my channel partners are not providing great content? They're not providing great training. What can I do to actually help my consultants become experts in day one. Well, you initiate a process where you deliver a conversation intelligence product that can provide that expertise on day one so that when they are having these conversations with the companies that they're consulting and things come up, hey, I have a problem. I want to ramp my reps faster. Okay, that's a problem, right? Well, the solution is one, you need to find out what they're doing to ramp the reps But can you imagine they say that's a problem and boom, on my screen pops some talking points, some additional questions I should be asking and not necessarily in the form of a tree, but some really guiding that person through the conversation to extract the real problem and then present the solution. So they don't have to be an expert at every single thing. They have to be good enough to elicit that sort of conversation, that thought so that they can look through that inventory of 10, 20, 30 partners or products and provide at least some basic value, pop pop some content that they can share with that CRO or CMO, whomever they're communicating with, that's adding value. I think starting there certainly would, would help the confidence, help the consultant with that tooling that they need to meet that moment. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. 
Your hosts are Jason Malicki, Principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. You know what I... I keep coming back to in my head as you're talking is this, there's that old saying that everyone's smarter than anyone. Right. And I just sort of like in the back of my head, it's like this notion that there's this repository of all these recorded conversations and all this contextual insight and all this dialogue. I can see this vision where it's sort of opening up the, the consultant or the expert to that whole world of knowledge that they wouldn't have had otherwise. You even think about it in the selling process, you know, a great consultant might interact with a handful of clients in a year. They might be 20 years into their career and they've really only sold, you know, 20, 30 deals, mm-hmm. right? But they they can tap into this broader universe of client conversations contextually, possibly real time. I mean, like all kinds of things that it opens up to them that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And conversations they don't have, right? Like if you're the expert in the AI practice and there's someone else, an expert in the blockchain practice, you, you may not have any any knowledge in the blockchain universe. Whatever you don't even know the questions to ask to get there, ask. right? And and it's that's gonna cue you that. It, right. Yeah. So so how do you provide that at least cursory level of intelligence yep. and augment that intelligence in the moment? And that's if you think about conversations, right? There's so much nuance. So what I should be asking or talking to you about on our first conversation together is very different than when you become a customer of mine. It's very different when I have an opportunity that's set to close in three days. It's the end of the quarter and I should be negotiating pricing or final terms or something along that line than a prospecting conversation, a conversation with an SDR talking to a RevOps manager versus a VP of sales versus a CMO. So how do we store all of that data How do we look at each part of the process and essentially optimize, so we process mine it, optimize every single piece so that we know how to engage, not just in conversations. When do we send the right email? When do we ask to be on an SMS basis with someone? When do we send them the piece of collateral? When do we ask to talk to somebody else within that buying community? When do we have a different sort of conversation with a procurement officer and what's important to them? So you take all of that and you look at the outcome data from every conversation, from disposition changes, from opening of emails, responses on text, responses on emails. You take all of that and you build a better process, a more informed rep better outcomes and you deliver them faster. And that's what we're doing. And guess what? We're, helping the buyer buy. If if organizations think about their sales process and that's disconnected from the buyer's process, because we all talk about how to sell. Think about the buyer. It's really complicated. They go online. There's tons of information. Can't tell the difference between the competitors or services or offerings. You then go and research. You may even go to a third party like Gartner or Forrester. You get their opinions. You got all this information. And then you get on the phone with a seller who's only trying to sell you something as quickly as possible. And yet your job, your very job may be on the line if you pick the wrong product or service. That is an incredible amount of pressure we put on the buyer. 
So if we start thinking about the buyer and how we can be most helpful to them, how we can guide them to a buying decision. And by the way, whether that buying decision is your product or service doesn't matter. Your job as a sales rep is truly one of a helper. That's the beauty of it. People used to hang their heads low and think of themselves as a seller as if that was something bad. Sellers today are, they're helpers, they're guides, they're helping people in really difficult decisions. And if we think about and train our representatives of our company to sell, to help in that way, that will help grow revenue. Music to my ears. I mean, I, I think that was the, that was the starting point of the sequence we did on modern selling. I want to take it up a level. That was awesome, and you led us up a level actually, which is we've talked a lot about conversational intelligence. But if you even think about like in in your product, Revenue.io, that's just one slice of a broader RevOps platform. Take us up to RevOps and what that is, and, and kind of everything that kind of goes into a RevOps platform and what that means to a enterprise type seller or a or a firm that's you know. Engaging at a highest level with clients. Yeah, look, I, I think that the idea of RevOps, and that's a new title really for things we've been talking about for a very long time. And it's really how do we take these silos across marketing, sales, support, success? How do we take all of these things and combine them to deliver a better customer experience, a more efficient, more effective sales support process? How do we take all of this information and create a better ROI on our time spent, on our technology? How do we take all of that information, right? And make sure that top to bottom, we're well aligned. So it's been a vision for a very long time. I've been around for a while, as we were talking about at the beginning of the, I've been in tech for 30 years. I, you know, I've been in psychology for a while. I have no hair if this was not a podcast. I'm bald, right? I've been around a while. This is not something new. It's how do we take silos, blow them up, connect it to do better by our customers and do better by our top line growth and bottom line as well. The difference is we have the compute power, we have the storage, we have the tooling. Unfortunately, we have a massive marketing stack. We now have a marketing sales stack. We have a bigger growing sales and, or sorry, support and success stack. We have different owners of these stacks. We have different ways that we're compensating people up and down the organization. Hey, someone's responsible for MQLs. They're responsible for opportunities. I have people over here responsible for win rates. Someone else's cost of acquisition. We, we have all of these metrics, right? And everybody is earning their comp based on that little piece of the pie. How do we align that? So one, we have a data problem, right? Data exists in a bunch of different tools. It, we don't normalize it. It's really hard to normalize data that comes in different tools and just throw it in CRM and expect it to all align and work perfectly, right? We have data cleanliness, different accounts, different engagements all over the place, right? So we have data problems. Now we have a governance problem. Who is the RevOps leader? Is it the CMO that we're now turning into a RevOps leader? Is it the CR? Is it the chief sales officer that's going to be the CRO? Is it someone in operations? Who's going to own this? And then you have sort of the political fight, right? I want to own the biggest pie. I want to have the most power within the organization. That's hard, right? You go to an enterprise, there's tens of thousands of people and processes have been set up for a while. So we have three problems. We have tooling, we have data, and we have governance, right? 
where do we start? Well, a lot of people are, the fastest growing title has the word revenue in it, but is that going to solve the problem? No. Data is a really easy place to start, right? We have data, a variety of different sources. The problem is if you throw data into a data lake and you try to analyze it, you need a bunch of data scientists. You have sales operations folks, you have marketing operations folks, you've got support operations folks, all these different folks. And then you have tooling that doesn't integrate natively. It's difficult, right? And so if we're talking about real time, as we were talking about before, how do we meet the moment? How do we make sure our reps, our marketing team, our sales team, they're all aligned? That data needs to align. But if I pick a Frankenstack, Frankenstein, right? I pick all these different pieces and I try to stitch them all together. I've created more enablement folks, more titles, a more expensive stack, more roles that aren't actually obtaining quota. So now my cost of acquisition, my cost of sale has gone up. And I think that's what a lot of organizations are realizing. We used to just throw more bodies at it, throw more salespeople at more SDRs, just throw more bodies and we'll help our top line growth. Then we started throwing more tools at it and we started to see some incremental improvement. Now we have so many tools that the cost of acquisition has gone up, not just because how much the tools cost, but how do we have all of these people to manage the tools? When we think about a RevOps stack, we really wanted to focus on how do we align these pieces to get to value quickly? We have marketing data within revenue.io. We have a very sophisticated telecom system that aligns and links and integrates with any telecom system. We have a cadence and sequencing engine that we process mine every email, every SMS, every phone call. We take that data and then we apply conversation intelligence. We record every call, every video. We analyze that. We know dispositions. We know how somebody is moving from one stage of an opportunity to another. We have a coaching module that applies. It's all on that same data set. It all integrates directly in Salesforce and it's all real time. Now we have our moments product, which we have four patents on. What does that do? It extracts the data across every single piece of it and applies that learning, that coaching in the moment that matters. So that was a very long explanation, but that is how we see the RevOps stack. It's going to be really hard and it's going to take a really long time to take all of these tools, these disparate point solutions and integrate them in to provide that value that we're talking about right now. But I think there's a couple key points in there that are really cool. And I'll try to capture them if I can. I don't know if I will. You know, there's this notion of mining, but then there was a couple of things that come out of that, right? There's one is sort of like real-time engagement. So helping the people that are selling in the moment. Yep. There's learning and development, right? So helping them develop and get better at what they do. There's coaching that flows from that. So enabling, obviously, the, the leadership to coach them more effectively. And there's probably, you know, the, the, the fourth thing is sort of like, I'll call it acceleration, but it's just this idea that all of that together enables the organization to unlock the growth that it's been struggling to find. It's really revenue enablement, right? That's really yeah. what it is. It's, it's taking all of those pieces, putting it together, enabling revenue in a quicker, more efficient, effective means by, by driving that value from all of this data and all these processes that you've created. And rather than taking a very long time to extract, I need my sales leaders to become data scientists, which they're never going to yeah. be. They don't know who to coach. They were never trained on coaches. How many managers were trained how to effectively coach? It's a different skill set. A lot of times you have really great salespeople. We're going to turn them now into sales leaders. 
Great. So we've taken them out of their skill set. We're going to say, okay, now you have to coach or you have to manage 10, 11 people. You still got to do forecasts. You still got to do reviews. You still got to do deal stuff. You have all of these new responsibilities. We need to figure out how to not just enable our reps, but how do we enable our managers to know where to focus that will deliver the most value in the shortest period of time? Which reps do I focus on? Who do I train and on what that will deliver that value and help us grow? Yeah, that's so cool. Can you tell I'm a little passionate about this stuff? Yes, I, that was the one question that we were said we were going to ask that we haven't asked. So anyway, we are crazy short on time. I know you have a stop because you have other places you have to be. Jeff, burning questions. This is the thing I always do at the end of a podcast. Burning questions that haven't made it out yet. You want to ask Howard or I want to ask Howard that, man, we should have asked him this. I have several. I'm only going to choose one. You get one. It seems to me, Howard, the way you just described that, the decision to put in Revenue IO or one of your competitors, this, this conceptual and tangible approach to revenue ops is a no-brainer. Like your phones should be ringing off the hook. You have so much business, you don't even know what to do with. But I know there's some realities that that probably doesn't encompass. I'm curious about how you get people to adopt this technology. Mm. It seems so straightforward that you would absolutely want it, but I know you get pushback on it for some reason. Yeah, I think I think number one is people don't really understand how easy it is to integrate this technology. They think they need to bring in Mm-hmm. multiple IT teams across all kinds. What we just described, yes, can be initiated, installed, up and running in large organizations in a period of days and weeks. But people are thinking quarters or years or that sort of thing, and they need buying committees. It's not that complicated. It's pretty straightforward. And the value you're able to achieve is very quick. And so we tend to say, totally get it, change management really hard, Here's a proof of concept. Give me a very small group. Let's prove it out on a small group. Let's let's get yeah. them going. And then you compare them to this other group. That's when it makes it so easy. And that's what's exciting. It's just, you just need a small group to prove the value. All right. So our closing question, I'm going to, you know what I'm asking, right? You know what's coming. Let's hear it. So what are you passionate about? Are they, you know, I kind of put you on the spot. Is it RevOps? No, it's it's not RevOps per se. I'm passionate in helping people accelerate their growth through the use of technology, their personal growth, their emotional growth, their psychological growth, their growth, improving that through all of this brilliant technology. Whatever you do, you can improve it through technology. And a lot of people are worried about technology. It takes too much mind, takes too much of a distraction, too much going on. Yes, absolutely. But how do we use technology to improve humanity, to improve who we are as human beings, to help us better connect with individuals? That is what I'm passionate about. That's what I'm excited about. Totally the answer I would have expected. I love it. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I learned so much and I enjoyed hearing you talk about your backstory and kind of just your passion, really, what you just talked about right there. Just this this desire to, you know, help us all be better communicators at the most root level and be better people, I guess, and using technology to help, to help that happen. So I really, really enjoyed the dialogue and I'm so interested with what you've been doing and so I don't know, just honored to have you here. So so thank you for joining us. 
Well, listen, Jeff, Jason, really appreciate the time. Love the podcast. Love what you folks are doing, helping educate the market. It's critical and it's important. So keep doing what you're doing. It was an honor to be here and thank you. Will you let me know when those glasses are available? <laughs> he yeah. already has a pair, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. The truth is it's not that far away. It's really not. And it's the amount of information we have and our ability now with technology to actually provide, like it is a millisecond that these things pop up. It's so incredibly powerful and exciting. And yeah, right now we're using a support success, all of that. But think about, we're also playing, we have a brand new patent this week on technology that actually can see how your facial emotions align with what you're saying. So you could be in a Zoom meeting and you're a teacher, for example, and you're teaching like 30 kids. The technology can actually see whether or not they're paying attention. Are they interested? Have they wandered off? Like it's just that the application of that is really, yeah, I'm sure there's scary aspects to it, but think about I'm a sales rep. I'm trying to give a demonstration on a product and I think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I got nine people on there. I can't pay attention to their faces, right? And guess what? Jeff looks freaking annoyed. He doesn't care. Like, stop, ask Jeff a question, call him out. So does this make sense to you? Like, Think about the help and all the applications of that. I mean, they're building contact lenses now that can present data. Can present all that. When you were describing all the recordings and everything that you were doing with them, that was the first place my head went. It was like all the visual cues that get missed in sales conversations every day. Yeah. How many yeah. visual cues I give Jeff that he misses every day on our podcast? Yeah, I mean, I'm like this and he doesn't like, <laughs> like guys. Oh boy, that's a great place to stop right there. Yeah. Right there. Hopefully you got what you wanted out of it. I I had fun. Oh, we got that and then some. It was fabulous. You, you were great. You were informative, passionate, energetic, everything that I could ever ask for out of a guest. So I, I appreciate you taking the time and, and just taking us on this journey that is conversation, intelligence, and rev ops. Yeah, so I was fun. trying not to sell. I just, obviously, I'm so excited about what we're doing. It's I'm so passionate about what this whether it's us or anybody else, just pulling it together to just improve this whole thing. It's We're right here. Well, the, the funny thing is that I, I tell clients this all the time that they get overwhelmed with technology. I'm like, look, just just pick. I mean, there, there's a universe of rev tech out there, right? So just pick one thing. Yeah. And just like pilot it like, and do that like with some regularity. Just try things and see what happens. You don't have to you know, boil the ocean every time. You don't have to like, you know, make some massive, you know, sea change. Just, just try something. The flip side of that is then you have every different department trying something and they yes. end up getting 40 yes. different tools and don't work together. And then they get RevOps to bring it all together. See, it all works exactly. out in the end. Another one. Gentlemen, really a pleasure <laughs> speaking with you. Let me know what I can do, how I can promote. I'd love to have you over on our side on the podcast as well. That'd be great. Let's stay in touch. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, gentlemen. Cool. Be safe. See ya. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.